So, uh, would you open your Bibles, please, to two places? Second uh, Kings, chapter two, and Malachi, the Italian prophet, uh, chapter four. Malachi, chapter four. Second Kings, chapter two, Malachi, chapter four, and I'm going to be reading while you're there from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. (laughs) It'll all work out, don't worry about it. It's all good. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was being betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant that's in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Think about that. But let a man or woman examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Lord, um, we want to take that seriously as we spend these next few minutes in your word. Would you focus our hearts, Lord, to the bread and to the cup as they point to the sacrifice, Lord, that you made for each of us personally? So easy to talk of ourselves in a, in a big plural sense, Lord. But may we each recognize personally here this morning what this means, what you intended for us personally. And for those in this room today who, number one, may never have trusted you as Savior, may today be the day that they come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the guarantee of heaven one day. And for those who are living as not unbelievers, but as make-believers, Lord, those maybe even walked forward, but there was never a change in their heart. Lord, would you do that work in them, in us, where we are this morning? and draws to you. Lord, we love you, and we're looking forward to your soon return for us, your call for us out of earth into heaven. While we're here, Lord, we ask that you would use this time here this morning, that you would be glorified in our midst. We love you. We thank you, Lord, in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Second Kings chapter 2. Uh, what, what happens last week, and I've just skipped over about 10 years of, uh, of biblical history, but God knows, and I knew that you would be reading ahead, so you already know this. Um, that's why we put the read ahead, by the way, all the time in the, uh, in the e-bulletin so that you know where we're going on a, on a Sunday morning. We saw last week the calling of Elisha, and, uh, and, he, and he, he served as the servant to uh, Elijah, 
for about 10 years. We come now to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. And here, it's an interesting, I'm just summarizing. Um, he's been, Elisha's been following Elijah around and serving him, you know, helping him with everything possible. Um, but uh, Elijah says to him, I'm going up to Bethel. You stay here. Elisha basically says, no way, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not staying here. I'm following you. I'm going with you where you go. Elisha uh, had learned so much by following in the footsteps, you could say, of Elijah. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to miss a beat. He knew that the Lord was going to be calling his master, Elijah, out of the earth. He didn't know when that was going to be. He knew that it was imminent. Important word, I think, for us. Uh, he knew that it was imminent. He didn't want to miss it. And so uh, he went with uh, Elijah up to, up to Bethel. And then Elijah says to him a little later on, I'm going up to Jericho, you go ahead and stay here. No way. He says, I'm not staying here. I'm going with you to Jericho. Same thing. And then later on, uh, as Elijah is going to cross Jordan, uh, and the other, some other prophets from the school of the prophets said, your master is going to cross the Jordan today. Do you know that's going to happen? And he's, he's going to be taken up uh, to heaven. He says, I know that. Stop telling me these things. I know that. I don't want to leave him. And um, Elijah finally says to him, what do you desire? He said, I desire a double portion of your spirit. You know, and we can, we don't have time for it this morning, but you know, it's one of these things where we can read about these characters, and some of them are more characters than others, but I mean, you know, we can read these, the, the stories of these, these biblical characters. They're no less human than any of us, but there's a desire as we see, for example, in the life of Elisha, he wants everything that God has for him. Do you want everything that God has for you? You can say publicly, oh, yes, you do. But I mean, really, do you? Do we really want everything that God has for you? All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. Elijah says, what do you want? He says, that I would have a double portion of your spirit. He says, you've asked a lot. Um, but then... Uh, as we read, and we will in coming weeks, you know, what God does through the life of Elisha. Um, in fact, he does. So the, the, Lord, the, the Lord does double the miracles that he did in the life of Elijah. But we read this, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And then it happened. As they continued on and they talked, then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. Just picture that one. <laughs> Just a chariot of fire made of horses of fire. I'm just, that, that's a mind blower visual. You just have to try and work your mind around that. Appeared and it separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and he's gone. And he's gone from, from Elisha's standpoint forever at that point. We will see him again. We see him again. When's the next time that we see Elijah? Transfiguration, exactly, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is about nine centuries from this, 850 years, but why quibble? Um, so, so for our purposes this morning, I, you know, we can look back at this incredible ministry that this man, Elijah, had. Uh, really, we've, we've spent some time going through it. We see how you know, he, he says to uh, King Ahab, no rain. Thus says the Lord before whom I stand, there will be no more rain here. And uh, 
he didn't say how long, but it turns out that it's three and a half years. There's no rain. This great drought comes. We've spent some time. We've gone through how um, the whole land is just, I mean, the, 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 king, the whole northern kingdom is falling apart because of the idolatry in the northern kingdom. Not a whole lot unlike what's happening in the United States of America right now. Not a whole lot unlike what's happening in the U.S. right now. Idolatry, and God can't turn, God can't embrace that. At some point, he must turn his back on those who call themselves his people, but seek to continue on in that idolatry. There are so many lessons for us in, in all of this. Elijah comes back, and of course, you know, he meets up with Ahab. We've gone through all those stories, chapter 17, chapter 18 of, of 1 Kings. Elijah challenges the people, and we spent time on this, uh, probably a total of three weeks altogether, I kept saying, how long halt ye between two opinions? Remember, again, that, that word halt, we get that out of King James. It's an old English word that means to be crippled. It's not just how long you're going to stay between, you know, with foot on one side and a foot on the other. How long are you going to be crippled? Because that's what it is. For anybody who calls themselves a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we choose not to walk with him, you are crippled. You are crippled. You're crippled in your marriage, you're crippled in your, in your life, you're crippled in your walk, you're crippled in your relationships with other people. Uh, you have a taste enough of heaven that you're really never satisfied in your relationships with your unsaved friends, and, and you are, you've walked far enough away from the Lord that you're never satisfied when you're in church. When the pastor says things like, it's time to get right with the Lord, there's this crumbling, horrible feeling that you have inside, and yet you're crippled. You never want to walk forward. And the question remains, how long are you going to stay crippled? Between two opinions, that's what Elijah, Elijah asks all of the northern kingdom. And then he challenges the prophets of Baal. We went through that. It's a very colorful, kind of a funny scene in a lot of ways. And what's the message of that showdown on Mount Carmel? There will be no rain. The rain will not return. There will be no showers of blessing. And if you want to take the type, it's spiritualize it. In other words, it, 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 it's exactly what God intends for us to understand. The rain that we see in the Old Testament there is a picture of the Holy Spirit. There will be no rain. There will be no showers of blessing for the believer. There will be no pouring out of his Holy Spirit and that refreshing that we desire until there is repentance. That's the reason that I read 1 Corinthians 11 first. Because Paul the Apostle says there that oh, we can participate in this, we can take the bread, we can drink the cup, we can do this, but until there's change in my heart, then I'm participating unworthily. What God desires is that each of us will come to him loving Jesus Christ and remembering what he did for us. There will be no showers of blessing until there's repentance. Repentance is the key for all of us. And then we see Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord. We spent time on that. He repaired the altar of the Lord. So many things we say. Now turn over, if you would, to Malachi chapter 4. I mentioned Wednesday night that I asked um, Glenn for permission, because this is his book right now that he's been teaching in, so, and he gave me the Domini Domini, it's okay, I can do this, and so um, I just want to spend a little time on it, and uh, he'll explain what it really says to you when, it's, when he comes to it, but uh, for our purpose this morning, and there's so much in Malachi uh, 
to go over, as you know, but let me read it beginning in verse one of chapter four. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, the sun, speaking of Jesus Christ, but the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. By, by the way, I just wanted to say, one of the things I really appreciate in Scripture, this has nothing to do with the message this morning. But I just thought I would let you know. Every time you read fat, in the Old Testament, it's always a compliment. <laughs> just, I'm just saying, you know, you can, okay. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get serial. So, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out like, and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You'll trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Yes, he's speaking to Israel. But there's truth in here for us to get, especially as we get to these last two verses. There's a lot of insight, I believe, for us to, to pick up on particularly as we come to the table this morning. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Remember, he didn't die. He went up in a flaming chariot. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers unless I come and strike the earth with a curse. The last word of the Old Testament, particularly in our English versions of the Bible, is curse. Lest I strike the earth with a curse. That's not God's desire to strike the earth with a curse. But lest it happens, there must be something else that occurs. Let's walk through a couple of scriptures, if you don't mind. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we see this. I mean, there's so many great stories that we read about, uh, about Elijah, about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is not Elijah, even though some people get confused about this. Um, and I can understand why I used to get very confused about John the Baptist thinking that Jesus was saying he was somehow a reincarnation of Elijah, but he's not. But the angel Gabriel says to John's father, to Zacharias the priest, he says this, take a look at this, chapter one of Luke, verse 13. But Gabriel, the angel, said to him, Zacharias, your prayers heard. Uh, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll name him John, and you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he, John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's either you're filled with wine and strong drink or you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't have both, incidentally. In our, in our generation, we think we can do whatever we want to. You can't. Just want that to sink in before we go any further. 
He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will also go before him, before God, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So he comes in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. For what purpose? To turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. To, oh, excuse me, I always get them mixed up. To, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Incidentally, what it said to us back in Malachi was that, if you recall, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, the angel changes it here in, uh, in, in Luke as he's speaking to Zechariah. He's, he's taking that prophecy, Malachi, and he just twists it in that, the second half fathers to the children and to turn the disobedient, those in sin, those who pursue their own way, those who say, I'm one of God's people, but they do their own thing, to turn those, the disobedient, back to the wisdom of the just. Why? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Why will Elijah come in the last days? And why was John the Baptist sent? to turn people back, to prepare people for the Lord. We need to be prepared for the Lord. Of course, we know the rest. What Zechariah has to say, that's a story for another time. And of course, John comes, and you know the story of John. Uh, I always like to say he's the original hippie. Um, we see him down at the Jordan River baptizing. Um, he's, a, he's really quite quite the guy. We got a moment. Let me just read a couple things here. We read this in Matthew chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And we just, these words just sort of roll right over us. There's no highways. From the wilderness of Judea, from Jerusalem to there is as the crow flies, if you had a crow to fly, would be about 20 miles. But it's downhill from 2,600 feet above sea level down to 1,300 feet below sea level. 3,900 foot elevation difference over 20 miles, but we'll add a few more because it's all twisty, turny switchbacks. And there's no tour bus like we take when we're on our tour. You're walking it. And yet, we read, that throngs of people were coming. There was something powerful about what was happening with John. Now, this is John the Baptist. He's not Elijah, but he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. His ministry was similar in the days of Christ to the ministry that Elijah had back in the Kings, but the one he's about to have soon to come. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. What was the message? What was the message? What's his message? Repent. We think his message was, here's the Messiah. Yes, that's part of it. But the primary message was repent because here's the Messiah. So the real message is repent. You won't meet the Messiah the way you'd like to unless you repent. You see what I'm saying? That was encouraging. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, that, which many believe was actually the mantle of Elijah. There's some reasons people believe that, but anyhow. Um, and his food would locusts and wild honey. So he had sort of a macrobiotic vegan diet. Um, 
and then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan. That's hundreds of thousands to millions of people. Just try to grab a hold of that. They went out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This is not Christian baptism. Baptism was already a part of of Judaism. The whole idea of baptism, or or to go into the mikvah, to go down into the water, come back up again, was to show a washing off of the old life and to move on into the new. That was the whole idea. Jesus takes that idea and makes it a Christian, what we call a Christian thing. Believe and be baptized. Believe, if you haven't been baptized yet, understand what Jesus was saying. Yeah, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, now you're baptized as evidence, an outward evidence of an inward change. And it's our first real act of obedience to our Lord and Savior. And so they were baptized under the baptism of John. They were baptized by him there in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to him, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He was a very politically correct kind of a guy. Um, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you see the prophecy? There's a wrath to come, is what he's saying. So who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Sometimes we slide right over these things, but there's a prophecy in this. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if you say you're a follower, if you say you've changed your life, if you say you've repented, repentance, the, the Greek word is metanoia, it means to change your mind. Or you were going this way, you do a 180, and now you go this way. You don't waffle anymore. You don't just say, oh yeah, sure, I believe that's the... No, there's got to be evidence of change in your life. That's what John's saying. Repent, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're, You're just religious snakes, is what he's calling these guys. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I say to you that God's able to raise up children to Abraham just from the stones that are here. (laughs) So, uh, He kind of made his point clear. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you think God's changed? I don't think so. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's a lot there. I'll leave it here. What he's saying is there's a great judgment come. When he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? When he says his winnowing fan is already at work and he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, he's saying, if there's no repentance in your life, you're the chaff, you're going to get burned up. When he says baptism there, he's not using it in the positive way we use it. A baptism, baptism means to be purged into, to be plunged into rather, I should say. So when a person is baptized in water, you're plunged into the water. You can be baptized into the fire too. I'd rather take water than fire, right? So he's saying, who warned you? There's something horrifying coming. You're saying, well, that's great, John. Is that why I came here this morning? Probably not. Who is this man, this man, John? Actually, if you look at it in John chapter 1, 
they asked him, the Levites and, uh, and, and some of these guys came to him. It says here that in verse 19, this is the testimony of John, when Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And John confessed, and he didn't deny, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. So don't be confused. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Why did he say that, do you think? Because they were expecting the Messiah. They were living in an age when people were expecting the Messiah. He said, I'm not him. And so they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Why would they ask him that question? Because for over upwards of 900 years, there's been an expectation that Elijah's coming back, specifically over the last 450 years since Malachi had written this, when God had said, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, they'd been living in this expectancy that Elijah was coming back. Those of you who are familiar with the Passover Seder, uh, if you were here for our Passover Seder with Mitch uh, you know, back this, this past April, we always talk about the setting that's, that's, that's placed there for Elijah. It's not just a cute tradition. That tradition is based on this idea that Elijah is coming back, okay? It's a very real expectation, or should be, because God said so. Elijah is coming back. So, I'm not the Christ. Well, then are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? If you're not familiar with that, you can look it up in Deuteronomy uh, 18. One like Moses is coming back. It's messianic. Um, he said, no, I'm not. Who are you then? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Bring every hill down. Make it flat. Make, bring every valley up. Make it easy for him to come here. Prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist comes. Yeah, we call him the original hippie. He comes, he introduces Jesus Christ to everyone. But this one, John, is a very different type of a character than we would think. This is John who comes in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. At the transfiguration, and there are two people there, and it's very clear who's there with Jesus at the transfiguration. There's Peter, James, and John on the mountain with Jesus, and then as they wake up from their sleep, because they were praying with them, and they, they fell asleep like we often do, and they saw two men with Jesus, and those two men were Moses and Elijah. For those of you who wonder, will I know my loved ones in heaven? Of course you will. How do I know that? Because they saw these two guys. They'd never met Moses and Elijah before, but they knew exactly who they were. In the kingdom, we'll know exactly who everybody is. They saw them. They knew that it was Moses and Elijah. It's a great story. But as they came down from the mountain, Jesus speaks to them. And what he says to them is very interesting. Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, listen to what he says. As they came down the mountain, Jesus commanded and said, don't tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. His disciples said, why? Why, why, why shouldn't we tell anybody? Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said, indeed, this gets a little confusing, well, we'll just leave it here. Indeed, Elijah is coming first, and he will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they, didn't, they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. 
He's not saying that John the Baptist was the, we use the term reincarnation of Elijah. That's not what he's saying. But John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he was mistreated by the leaders and he was rejected by the leaders. By now, John has been, um, has been arrested and has already lost his head. But he says that Elijah must come. He is coming. And of course, we read over in Revelation chapter 11 that there will be two witnesses outside of Jerusalem. And they will be, now scripture doesn't tell us who they are, but based upon the type of miracles that they perform, the calling down of plagues from heaven and, and praying that it won't rain and calling down fire from heaven we infer that it's Moses and Elijah who were there. But here's what I want us to look at this morning. Zechariah said to, or excuse me, Gabriel said, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah that Elijah will come to turn the, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. But specifically, what, what Gabriel says, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's the idea, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I don't intend this for us this morning as an academic study, but to understand what God's desire is. God's desire is that, now when he speaks of Elijah, he's talking about Elijah's ministry to Israel. You and I, we claim, we say that we're Christ's own because he paid the price for our sins. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins personally, and you've said, yes, Lord, I believe that. I know that my confidence is in you, that when I die, I'm going to see you face to face. I'm going to heaven because I believe that Jesus died for me. If you've made that decision to, to ask forgiveness for your sins, that you might have new life to be born again, then you're in. And yet he calls you, he calls me, he calls us to live lives worthy of the calling to which we've been called. It's not God's heart to wipe out the whole world. That's what he says there in, in Malachi. It's not his desire to, lest I come and, and strike the earth with a curse. That's not his desire. His desire is that people, the people, would be prepared for the Lord. That's his desire. It's his desire here this morning that we would be prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not God's heart to injure those who've been created in his image and likeness, but it is God's heart to turn the hearts of the fathers to the next generation. That is his heart. It is God's heart so that we um, would repent of, of what we've done. Each of us, as parents, we can look back on our lives and think, yeah, I wasn't everything I could have been as a parent. It's not completely like we got a full do-over with our grandchildren, but we do sort of get an extra chance, you could say. And God's desire is that we would be walking with him. That the, that the disobedient, he's speaking of God's people, 
that the disobedient, that their hearts, our hearts, would be turned to the wisdom of the just. Why? So that we'll ask, what am I doing with my life? So that I'll ask questions like, you know, what have I taught my children? What do I expect of my children? What have I invested in my children? Have I really raised them up? And even if you don't have children, it's not just for parents. I mean, there's so much more in this. You know, just as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, in, in all these cases, God calls them to, yeah, he calls them to the covenant, but he always calls them back to rekindle the covenant. That's always the case. That's always God's desire. It's his desire with Israel, always has been his desire with Israel. It's his desire for the church right now. Same for us, that our hearts would be turned back. Don't be presuming that you got it right. I don't mean, and if you're in Christ, you've got it right. Well, what I mean by this is don't presume that everything in my life's good. It's all good. There's so much in our lives that isn't, and he calls us to repent where we need to repent. It's right to do that. The whole Bible speaks of that. The Old Testament ends with a word, the curse. The New Testament begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament ends with my messenger. Malachi actually is, it, it means my messenger. God says, I will send my messenger. At the very end there, just before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that's the tribulation period. The Old Testament ends with a curse. The New Testament ends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it ends, the, the book of Revelation ends on something very different from what the Old Testament ends on. It ends with grace. It says it right there in Revelation 22. He says, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. After everything we've seen there in the book of Revelation, it's all about God's grace. He says, repent. Your kingdom, your nation needs not to be destroyed, you could say. Repent. Insanity is growing in our land. We see what's happening in our land. God says there needs to be repentance. Repentance, what he calls us to, especially the people of God, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to metanoia. He calls us to change our minds. And there's a mind change that's needed for each one of us here this morning, I'm sure. But also to repent and to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that today, I encourage you to do it before you leave here because the signs are clear and you don't have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to see that the whole world is moving at, at warp speed into madness. And Jesus is coming back. And there's only one way out, and that's to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord.